Thank you so much for joining us. Let me just begin by giving a shout out to those of you who are watching from our San Jose campus and all the rest of you who are watching uh, from various platforms across the country and across the world. Wherever you're watching from and whenever you're watching, welcome. I am delighted that you're joining us as we're continuing. Actually, we're coming towards the end of our series on the book of Jonah centered around the theme, God's relentless love. Now, if you're joining us for the very first time, there's a link right here on the screen where you can go back and pick up the messages that you've missed, especially last week's message, because we've already worked through chapter one, chapter two, and last week we started with chapter three, thinking about what does it look like to engage unlikely change in our lives. And so really, uh, this is kind of part two where I'm picking up at where I left off. So if you're joining us for the first time, make sure, minimally, you go back and listen to last week's message. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks and praise for this day and for those who are listening. Wherever they're listening from, we pray that your spirit would rest heavily upon them, that you'd move transformationally through this teaching. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. All right, let's get started. We're going to Uh, Look back at the same passage of Scripture we looked at last uh, week, just some sample verses as we work our way through uh, chapter 3, verse 1. But before we do, can everybody, can you just shout with me, I can get better. Everybody shout, I can get better. All right. Okay, let's listen to what the the writer says in Jonah chapter 3. Here it is. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they decided They declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When God, verse 10, saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. There ends the reading. Let me just take a few moments and recap a bit from the teaching that we started as it relates to this chapter last week. And I said to you that the entire third chapter of Jonah can be summarized in one word, change. Can somebody shout change? And if you're watching us on Facebook, go ahead, just tap that word into into the chat, change. Listen, beginning with the first few verses, Jonah finds himself lying on the seashore having been uh, been, been spit up, if you will, by that gigantic fish that took him down to the depths of the ocean. And then the text says, the word of the Lord comes to him a second time. And this time, Jonah has a change of mind, and he changes his direction, and he actually goes to Nineveh. He experiences change. And then we read a little further that these people that the Bible refers to as wicked, the Ninevites, When they hear the message that Jonah delivers, they too have a major shift and change. And they they shift from their wicked ways. And we experience change. 
And then God himself models change in the very text because in verse 10 it says, you know, he was prepared to execute the judgment of destruction upon them. But once he saw how they shifted and changed from their wicked ways, he moved from destruction to redemption, which is what he wanted to do in the first place. And in so doing, he models change. Can you say change? Here's the point, guys, and I said this last week, that if you're watching this message, which is all about change, I believe it's providential. I believe God has ordained this message for you to hear. And he wants both you and both, all of us to wrestle with this basic question. What needs to change in my life? Now, I can hear someone already thinking about this as I've been there and I've done that. And you can just list off a long list of of attempts to change uh, and meet some of those major challenges in your life. And you essentially said it was failure after failure after failure after failure. I'll say again today what I said last weekend and the weekend before that. In God, there is no failure, only growing opportunities. And so here's what I want to challenge you to say this with me. Say it right now. With God, I can change. Say it. With God, I can grow. Say it. With God, I can get better. One more time. With God, I can change. With God, I can grow. With God, I can get better. Yes, this is your moment to lean in and allow God to do within you what you cannot do by yourself. And so last week I told you, and we walked through some what I call change-oriented observations, and we did it in the form of prayers. Now let's shift our attention to this weekend. I want to pick up on, really, uh, two insights framed simply as change-oriented observations. And the first insight that flows straight to us out of the text, if we're really serious about engaging what I call unlikely change in our lives, is this. We have to be committed to reprogramming our thinking. Can you just say it with me? Reprogram my thinking. Shout it out loud. Reprogram my thinking. Wow. What does that look like to reprogram my thinking? Well, I want you to notice how the writer, as he works through the story of Jonah under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, uses this notion of great when it ref- when it's great and large as it refers to Nineveh. In chapter 1, verse 2, when the call first comes to Jonah, God says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. In chapter 3, verse 2, Jonah's lying on the bench. It comes to him a second time, the voice of God saying, get up and go again to the great city of Nineveh. But the emphasis on Nineveh being this great and large city is also revisited in verse 3 be of the same chapter. It says, now Nineveh was a very large city, so much so that it would take three days in order to go through it. Shout, very large. This is another way of talking about how Nineveh, this great city. And then in chapter 4, verse 11, we find a little bit more elaboration here when, when God talks about the people inside of this significantly great city as he's, in a sense, disciplining and challenging Jonah. Here's what he says, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people, watch this, living in spiritual darkness. 
And he was simply saying to Jonah, how come I shouldn't be, how could I not be concerned about that? Wow. Another way, though, of talking about the greatness of the city of Jonah, of Nineveh. What's the point here? Well, what the writer is trying to illustrate as, as he walks us through this notion is that as he talks about the, the greatness of the city, it has at least three levels. One, he's talking about the largeness of its geographical location, that, that it is both in terms of its, its urban and suburban area, 120,000 plus people. It is a large city geographically. It took three days to walk across the city. It is a large city geographically. It's great. But then when he talks about the great city of Nineveh, it's talking about uh, that Nineveh has a large collective ego, that, that it is the capital city of the, of the most powerful nation at that time, kind of at the center of the then known Western world. It had this large collective ego. So he's, he's just talking about this notion. They saw themselves as great. And then the greatness reveals the fact that, that it, was a, it, it had a collective success. They were, it was a powerful and wealthy city. This adds to this notion of their greatness. Now, here's what the writer wants you to see. Get, watch this. If there was any city unlikely to experience transformation, it would be the great city of Nineveh. Its ego was too large. Its success was too sure. Come on now. Uh, uh, reflecting the, 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 the land mass of its city, which reveals its accomplishment. If there is one city unlikely to hear God say, change from your wicked ways, it would be that city. And so what the writer wants us to see is that when Nineveh hears the word of God and believes God's message, as the text tells us, and literally has a change of heart, it's why changes. What the writer wants you and me to realize that this, this, this unlikely change is a huge deal. It's big change. It's a, it's a huge, enormous change. So, I just want to say to somebody who's listening to me today and you're thinking about the change that you need to happen in your life and it seems so huge, it seems so improbable, it seems so unlikely. The word of the Lord to you today is simply this. Unlikely change is possible with God. For you, in your life, I didn't say you alone, but I said with God, unlikely change is possible. Now, as soon as I say that, I, I know some people are kind of pushing back on this. You're saying, no, 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 I'm too old. Or somebody else is saying, no, I'm not emotionally secure enough to experience this unlikely change that I, I believe God wants to happen in my life. Somebody else is saying, I'm too immature. Somebody else is saying, I'm not capable. And I'm saying to you that the word of the Lord declares to you today, it's time for you to reprogram your thinking. Because at the end of the day, come on now, unlikely change is possible with God. That is the word that the great city of Nineveh gives to us today. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. 
He says, all things are possible for those who believe. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes about, about the power that we get from knowing Jesus. Hear what Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, one of the things that we learn from uh, neuroplasticity, this, this new emerging area in, in, uh, in the science of neurology, the study of the brain, is that, is that we've discovered that we can actually reprogram our thinking, and in reprogramming our thinking, we can facilitate changes in our behavior. It is the way God shaped and made the brain. And what folk who study this, this field tells, uh, tell us, that if you want to reprogram your thinking, essentially you got to start talking differently to yourself, which, which means you got to start thinking differently and acting differently. In other words, you say it and do it. Say it and do it. Say it and do it. Come on, repeat after me. Say it and do it. Repeat. Say it and do it. Yeah. Say differently. Do differently. Say it and do it. So, I, I want to encourage you. Listen, by the way, this is so biblical, right? Because it is the word of God that declares, so a person thinketh. So he or she is. I always love it when science catches up with the insight of biblical truths. My gosh. So let me just encourage you to put this to work. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I just want to say to that person who tomorrow morning that you're going to wake up and depression is going to want to keep you in the bed. I want you to begin to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. As you push your way out of that bed, take a shower and push your way out of the house into the sunlight declaring, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Somebody shout, I can. Yes, I can do it. Through Jesus who strengthens me to that person who's listening right now. You can turn that car around and head in the opposite direction from the liquor store that you were going to. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The, that, that, that person who it's time for you to delete that phone number and that name from your phone. Why? Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Come on, say it and do it. Say differently and do it differently. I'm the person who's a student, you just need to declare, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Shut off the TV and the social media and open up the books. And with tears coming down your cheek, you may have to struggle and work with it, but just keep reminding yourself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and allow the power of God to empower your life. Reprogram your thinking. That's the insight number one. God with God unlikely change is possible. Second insight, and the last insight of the day that flows straight to us out of Jonah. Number one, we have to reprogram our thinking, but number two, we've got to reframe our actions. Come on, say it with me. Reframe my actions. Yes, reframe how I think about this notion of change that, that, that essentially I can't change all of my life at the same time. I've got to be very strategic in how the Holy Spirit leads me 
and guides me in the process of unlikely change in my life. I see how this shows up in the text. Look at um, Jonah chapter 3 again. Look at how it describes the geography of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days. Somebody shout three days. Three days to go through the entire city. Now, it makes it clear. It's going to take three days for Jonah to preach all the way across the city. But watch what happens in the next verse. Watch what the next verse points out. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming with, 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 with all of the might he can proclaim, with great joy, because he didn't want to see them repent, right? He didn't want to see them die. So he's, he's declaring it. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And shockingly, stunningly, the text says, and the Ninevites believed God. Not, didn't say believe Jonah, said believe God. God had placed a unique anointing on that moment that, that, that allowed the Ninevites to hear and to see and to do what heretofore they had not been able to hear, see, and do. And I'm suggesting that if you're listening to this, this message right now, that I'm believing that God has placed a unique empowerment on this moment to allow you to see and to hear and to begin to move in a way that you heretofore have not been able to see, hear, or move. Not, not towards perfection, but a shift, can somebody shout shift? A shift that happens in your life that when you look back, you can say, I'm not perfect, I'm not flawless, but, but, but I move from not exercising to exercising. I'm not perfect, I'm not flawless, but, 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 but I'm, I'm three weeks in, come on now, on a sustained course of recovery. I'm not perfect, I'm not flawless. I've got a long way to go. Come on now, but I'm, I'm, I'm eating more vegetables, more fruit, more nuts, and less carbohydrates. Come on. I, 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 there's a shift. God says, I want to facilitate a shift. The question is, where does it start? Okay, here's my point. Jonah only went a part of the distance. Just one out of three. Remember I told you a few weeks ago that in the Jewish tradition, three days and three nights is about a completed process. He only went one day. He went one day. That was his, his part. That was his. He just went one day and God did the rest. He went one day and God did the rest. So here's my insight. Come on, take, write this down. If I do my part, God will do God's part. If I, if I do what God has placed in my hands as it relates to a strategic focus on change, come on, God does God's part. The unimaginable part, that's what God does. Come on now. The improbable part, that's what God does. Let me just focus on what's in my hand. Jonah only went a little ways in. And God did the unimaginable. Here's another way of saying the same insight. God can use my faithfulness with a little bit to produce the unimaginable. Wow. The unimaginable. I, I learned this some time ago, and I'm shocked every time I think about it. They're going to put a picture of a, of a needle on the, on the screen, and if you notice the point of that needle, uh, uh, science tells us that on the point of that needle, listen to me, 
that there are five million, million, that's twice, atoms on the point of the needle. Atoms are the basic building blocks of reality. Buildings, your body, clothes, cars, everything we can see and touch is made out of, everything we can see and touch is made out of atoms. Here's the insight. God starts with little bitty things and he coordinates the sequences and he brings great unimaginable things out of little tiny bits. You get it? A little tiny bit. God brings the unimaginable. Wow. Let me give you a quick, quick story. There's a fellow by the name of Dr. Ben Carson. And he, uh, uh, now the moment I say that name, some of you may recognize that name because he recently has become a political figure uh, on the Republican side. Uh, So let me just pause here because we have a tendency in today's world that, that despite how marvelous or great somebody might be, if there's a certain part of their life that we may not disagree with, we will eliminate the whole person because we don't like a certain part of their lives. So let me just, just pause for just a moment. I want to kind of go back to this point that I made last weekend. Lord, teach me to love the way you love. Jesus says, uh, this command I leave with you, love one another in the same way that I have loved you. So can I just make this point for those of you who are watching here in America, so polarized, check this out. I can love you deeply and disagree with your political position. I can love you deeply and disagree with a particular lifestyle choice that you make. I I don't have to agree with everything to love you deeply. Where did I learn that from? I learned that from God because he loves us deeply, but he disagrees, come on now, with some of the political positions we have and some of the choices about life that we make. As a matter of fact, many of the choices we make, and yet he still loves us unrelentingly. Wow. We've got to point this at. Can I, while I'm on the subject, can I just say this? I don't have to agree with everything you think in order to learn from you. I just want to make this point because over the years I read folk who I disagree with philosophically and theologically. I read stuff from other people of different faiths, different political persuasions, different cultural perspectives, and yet I can learn from them. Why? Because I, I handle that stuff the way my grand aunt handled fish. She had a peculiar way that when she fried catfish and brought it, I didn't like fish because I, 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 I didn't, I wasn't good at separating the bones from the from the from the meat. And 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 once I, I, a bone got stuck in my throat and it traumatized me. So till this day, if I'm gonna eat fish, I'm eating it for y'all. 
I mean, come on. But my grandaunt had that peculiar ability that she could put the fish in her mouth. She could separate the bones from the flesh. Come on now. And she would spit the bones out and enjoy the seasoned meat. And that's how I've discovered how to engage with folk where I don't agree with everything they say. And yet I can learn from them. And by the way, while I'm on the subject, you may discover that you don't have to agree with everything I say to be blessed by most of what I say. So don't turn the, the computer off when three months from now I say something you disagree with. Come on now. Okay, that was the footnotes. That was the footnotes, y'all. That was the footnote. Praise God. Let me get back. Ben Carson. Ben Carson. Here's what we learned from Ben Carson. And I got to wrap this up. This is what we learned from Ben Carson. If you know anything about his story, young African-American, he was, grew up in a part of his life in Detroit. His, his father left the family. His mom was a single, family, uh, single mother. He, he was plagued by an anger issue, so much so that he almost killed a young man in high school, horrendously uh, angry. He and his brother, poor performers in school. His single mom could not do a lot about a lot. Her, her economic conditions were limited. Her, her ability to get out of the city of Detroit was limited. She had no power to make his father come back and get active in his life. But she identified one small thing that she could do and be consistent with. She required that Ben and his brother on a weekly basis would read two books from the library and write two book reports. Week after week, turn that TV off. Come on, some parents ought to listen. Listen now. Read the books, write the reports. Can't have any privileges till I get those reports. Week after week after week. And while she focused on that little thing, come on now. Ben Carson says that he started reading through because she was a woman of faith and kept them in a context of faith. And so he started reading through Proverbs. And every time he came across a verse with wisdom about anger, he internalized it. And between her focus consistently on the little things, come on now, and his dealing with his anger by internalizing what God's word said about it, uh, transformation started to happen. And that mama stayed focused to books, to reports, to books. To report, finally, Ben Carson graduates with honor from high school, ends up going to Yale, graduates from Yale, ends up going to the University of Michigan Medical School, graduates from there, lands in, in, in a surgical program at John Hopkins, becomes, becomes the youngest uh, uh, director of, of neurology at John Hopkins Hospital, and ultimately becomes the first his doctor in history to separate. Sometimes babies were born with their heads uh, linked together. He became the first doctor in history to separate twins like you see here on the screen. Wow. And it's all because his mom was faithful over a few small things that was in her control and God did the unimaginable. What's the small things that God is saying that you need to focus on, that you need to be faithful in your life? What is the small starting place that God is calling you to start that week after week after week? Trusting that if you're faithful over the small, wow, that God will do the unimaginable. 
Here's, here's, how, here's what Andy Stanley says in his uh, book, The Best Question Ever. He simply says that he puts it this way. There is a cumulative value to investing small amounts of time in certain activities over a long period of time. That's what Ben Carson's mom did. Changed him from a near high school dropout to a world-class surgeon and beyond. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 23. He puts it this way. He says, when we come at the end of the day, the master will say, as he was sharing this story, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling the small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Come on and let's celebrate together. So I've got to reframe my actions rather than trying to change everything at once. God, show me the strategic place where you want me to partner with you and be faithful, consistent. And finally, Jonah 3.5 is the last insight, guys. Last insight to engage unlikely change. Notice, notice the highlights in this test. The people, shout people of Nineveh listened to what Jonah had preached, and they decided to trust God. I'm saying to somebody here today, you need to trust God. Come on, the all-powerful one. And they proclaimed, they, they put trust into action. They proclaimed a citywide fast and dressed in burlaps. That's another word for, for sackcloths to show their repentance. Watch this. Everyone, come on, say it together. Everyone did it. Rich and poor, famous and obscure, leaders and followers. Notice the people, everyone. Notice how they engaged in this act of change together. Here's the last insight. Unlikely change often requires a partnership between me and God and others. Who's the others in your life? Is it a recovery group? We have virtual small groups here at NBCC, wherever you're watching in the world. You, 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 you can engage. We've got people working through grief together. We've got people working through the aftermath of divorce together. We've got, we've got people growing spiritually together. God has made us in such a way that ultimately big and unlikely change requires other folk helping us. Yes, the supernatural power of God, but he works also through others. Who makes up your others? Is it a running partner? Come on, is it somebody who's engaging in the eating plan with you? Who makes up your other? Reprogram your thinking. Reframe your actions. Engage God in prayer. Be faithful. Be faithful with a little bit and watch God do the unimaginable. One hour, one day at a time. Amen. Let me leave you with this reflection question. It is, what is one area I will choose to be faithful in in order to drive change? in my life, obviously in partnership with God and with others. God bless you.